Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome along to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I hope you're all well this afternoon and having a nice day. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for your company. Thank you for always being with us on the show. I'm very grateful. I really am very grateful. Those words, thank you, being grateful. Louise, do you think they're disappearing in general life in Ireland? Um, I wouldn't say disappearing, but they're not used as much, I don't think. Definitely not. Man, I, I don't think... Kind of rolls off the tongue as it used to. Good manners? Mm. Disappearing? Yes. N- yes. Or being replaced by maybe not quite right manners. <laughs> Bad behaviour. Brusque. Standoffish. You know, that type of thing rather than warmth. I was in Tesco on uh, Sunday, Miss Saturday, because of a football game. And I had to go up on Sunday <laughs> and uh, do my usual run round. And I, I, I forgot to buy a few little daffs on the way out. I love daffodils. Yeah. And I paid for my shopping and I went to the counter and there was a lady there. And I said, God, I forgot the daffs. And she said to me, uh, have you a club card? I said, I hardly need them for the daffodils. Oh, she says, you do. You'll get a few sent off with the club card. She didn't have to tell me. Yeah. And she said, I love daffodils. And I said, so do I. They're a happiness flower, aren't they? She says to me, they are indeed. They brighten up any room. They brighten up life, she said. Mm. Well, you know something? To get that, that conversation That was lady lovely. was just lovely mm. and made my day, that interaction. Other times, wouldn't even, no one would ask for the club card. No one would lift their head. You know, some of them. That'll some be two year old, please. And yeah, be thank you. Out the door yeah. or whatever. I... You know, manners, you know, opening a door. The other day I was on the underground in London. And this lady went, it was packed. And she was with this guy. And this guy jumped in front and she says, excuse me, his name. I let her out and she says, thank you. Mm. You know, there was no thought. He just jumped. But she noticed it and said it to him. Things like that, little t- touches, you know, that. Uh, it's the little th- touches that we used to take for granted. But I don't know with the younger generation did they ever experience it now to miss it, if you know what I mean? Were they ever thought, no, no, you don't do that. Mm. You let a lady go first. You, you know, you offer a seat to an elderly person on yes. a bus. You don't just sit there with your head down on your screen. Yes. I don't know if that's really been thought anymore. And is it that the way society is today, the way people are today, and, and aided and abetted by the new technology, as you say there with screens and people with their heads in them and children in them from a young age, that interaction is gone. Mm. I think they, they learn a little bit, you know, in school. And yes. That, but not as much. as Not as school. much. You know, we're talking about folks. What about today? What, what do, you, do you feel, you know, that we're fighting a losing battle here, that it's a thing of the past? Etiquette, good manners, pleasantness, good customer service. And there is great customer service. And let me say, some people still do this. But on the whole, is it waning? I'd love to hear from you. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. And with all this in mind, uh, good behaviour, manners, etiquette, I'm delighted to be joined on the show by Brenda Highland. She's listening to us there intently, I'm sure. Hello, Terry. Hello, How Brenda. How are you? An etiquette consultant you are from the Irish School of Etiquette. That's what do you nice, what, what do you think? You've been listening to me, Stephen Louise. What's your, yeah. what's your opinion? Well, that's sort of what I would try to instill as I go along every day. And you know what they say, Jerry? Common sense. You think all this is common sense, but common sense is not so common. And really and truly, everything boils back to respect. And I think, you know, from the time you bring a a child into this world, 
as they grow up, they become a toddler, you're you're teaching them, please, thank you. So parents have huge responsibility from the time they are toddlers the whole way through. And then when they go into school, and we can always, we cannot always expect teachers to pick up the slack here. They should be going into school with that sense of respect for, you know, themselves and others. And, um, of course, we all need to start with ourselves. If we love ourselves and respect ourselves, and we will certainly you know, um, give that impression towards to others and hopefully receive it back. But going on there, Jerry, to other things, um, you know, communication skills, even you spoke there, that lovely little anecdote that you spoke of there about in London and the daffodils, the odd time that you get that, oh my God, Mm. how your heart swells and you think, my God, it's great, isn't it, just to get that lovely feeling Mm. of... um, Gratitude. Mm. Gratitude. Does anyone even know what that word means anymore? We are in a world of so much. We are overflowing with so much. And yet so many have so little. But to have just gratitude, respect. I mean, it it really goes a long way, I feel anyway. Um, As an etiquette consultant, I could talk all day about the do's and don'ts. But I think it boils down to respect. Yeah. And, and you know, there's something on my mind as well, and I have to, yes. I, I hate referring back to it. <laughs> I, I, I hate referring back to it, but the pandemic had certainly a big impact on everybody's lives. And I think of, of young people as well. You know, the p- pandemic, when they really were, you know, taken out of school, stopped from, you know, interacting with their friends for a, quite a long period of time and a, on a couple of occasions over a couple of years. Did that impact you believe as well? Well, I think it has had a growth impact entirely. And I I would have actually um, 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 our our youngest daughter uh, just, you know, finished college, just about to fly the nest and then her wings are, are, are cut. And, you know, that impact on her and all across the board. It doesn't matter. Everyone has been impacted. And yes, I think the youth of the country and all over the world have been impact, um, impacted greatly. And, and their social skills have been impacted. Now, I think, personally speaking, that happened a long time ago because I'm in this business a long time ago and between going into schools and going into colleges and, and places of business. The one thing that we see is that communication skills have died. You hand a young person a phone. Let's say they're going into the telephone business, um, you know, get a job in sales or whatever. They, it's like an ambush giving them a phone because they don't know how to communicate. They don't know what to say because they haven't social skills. Yes. They've lost that. You know, the common sort of um, chit-chat when you meet somebody, whether you talk about the weather or it's the football or the rugby, whatever it is. They can't even do that. They don't know how to go about that. So therefore, in our, you know, in, in what we do, we would this, we would try and practically um, ex- do this exercise. And, you know, it's a funny thing. When you talk about social chat now, it's actually um, not about that chit chat that we would have had in the past. It's about um, marketeers and, and real time and live shopping and e-commerce. You know, it's all about, it, it, it revolves social chat. That word means something else these days. Mm. You know what they can't do? We can't, you know, if you're, now we're on the phone now and I believe we're yes. reading each other well on the phone and yes. we're connecting. But if you were here with me in studio, we'd be even connecting more tightly, if oh, I, I'd yes. like to use those words. But uh, is the ability to connect, to read others, falling away rapidly because of this without screen time? Doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, you just hit the nail on the head then. There. When we meet each other, we straight away, maybe we might shake hands. Um, and, and that in itself, and thank God, in a way that has come back into our lives. You see it even politically now. You'll see people shaking hands on the TV, which I think is a great thing because straight away that's saying, I'm on your level. Here we go. Um, we are um, in agreement at least to shake hands and listen to each other because we've lost that as well, listening skills. So when we are actually meeting each other, we're watching the physical um, movements, you know, the hand movements and especially the face, mm. the facial expressions. They tell a story all of their own. 
So when you're reading, and as you say, that is the great word, yes, to read somebody. And even their presence, their demeanour, we're losing all of that. Mm. How can you possibly get that when you're looking at somebody on a Zoom call or whatever? You know, yes. you can't really. No, you can't. Um, no. And I, I'm, I'm getting lovely messages here. Let me let me just give you a feel for what the listeners are, are telling us today and saying to us. Here's an interesting one from Frank. I've just been to a funeral um, um, near Slane in County Meath. And while the deceased was buried, there was a farmer in the next field right next to the cemetery kept on tilling right up against the boundary between the cemetery and the field and the noise of it. He had completely no respect for the family of the deceased. Now, that's an interesting one. Do you know what I mean? Another yes. one of, of, of no manners. It roses on to say the simple things, Jerry. They mean so much. I love it. I love listening to your programme too. Uh, and, and there's more coming there. I'll come back to them in a moment. But look, uh, the message is today, we could all do more as parents to teach our children and guardians. Uh, schools are doing their best. And as society, we could all be just that little kinder to each other, couldn't we? Exactly, Respect. exactly. And you mentioned, you know, even I was in the house. Um, I better not be too particular now. Um, but um, there was <laughs> friends staying over, OK? Yes. Uh, uh, I said, some things have not changed. And I want to be able to say something, but it isn't my place. So the friends all pile in. There's great excitement. They stay over. They rummage the fridge. They rummage the food larder. um, They run upstairs to the bedroom. They do whatever. And then the following day, they come back. They sleep over. And the following day, they leave. The kitchen is in the mess. The bedroom is in, like a bomb has hit it. You know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, yes. And I just want to shout out there to all the parents, of teenagers especially, can you please remind them? Please remind them of a few little things when they do go to um, visit. Now, I'm not saying this has to happen every time. For instance, if you're invited to stay over, it's actually nice even to be polite and maybe if it's only to bring a bar of chocolate to say thank you very much for having me over, um, to ask the following morning, would you like me to strip down the bed, uh, leave the, the bed linen maybe in a pillowcase at the end of the bed, um, make sure you don't leave anything in the toilet, especially um, very sensitive, intimate things can be left behind in bathrooms. You know, please you know, go back and check that out that you haven't left anything soiled or whatever there. I know we're talking about basics, but guess what? We should talk about the basics here because yeah. they're not being... People, I don't know what it is. It's just a lack of respect. Respect it is. Mary Burke's on from Delete to us to say, Jerry. oh my God, I'm, I'm, I am love listening to yourself and Brenda there. I'm so obsessed with manners since my children could speak. I teach them to say please and thank you and be courteous. And I'm doing the same now with my grandchildren. Uh, I tell them every day to smile. It's contagious. Yes, uh, absolutely, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, there used to be an old saying that was drilled into us when we were at home. And I always said it to my own. I, I would say, don't go visiting with one hand, arm as long as the other. It's an old Irish saying. Um, go dates back to the 1850s and I do think it stands I mean okay teenagers we, we don't expect them to come with something but certainly adults still arrive you know it doesn't matter bring some little thing to show your appreciation if you're being invited for dinner or whatever you know um, and also different things such as arriving into a house and asking for the Wi-Fi before you're hardly in the door. Yes. You know, that shows straight away, I'm not going to be really um, um, with you while I'm here. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. But I, know what, the, I know what you're talking about. That's the, the first thing that they ask for. Yeah. But uh, look, we th- th- there is so much. Uh, on, on a sort of lighter note, and I know our Louise uh, this started this whole thing yes. off. She sent it on to you as well about people, you know, calling to visit. You mentioned teenagers there, but let's yes. talk about anyone calling to oh, visit a house. And, and things that say, uh, just quickly, a couple of things that are a no-no. Um, when you call to somebody's house, you know the way people you go in and... Uh, should you ever, you know, touch or move things? If you're a bit pernickety uh, and OCD, if you see something in uh, out of place, should you ever go near, from an etiquette point of view, anything in anybody else's house to fix it properly? 
a big N O. <laughs> It doesn't matter. I certainly never say, well, I wouldn't like that wallpaper, but, you know, or that particular shape. You don't. You keep your zip, your mouth zipped. Absolutely. And if you're going for the first time, you know, and say it's a lovely house and somebody are there new and they bring you in and sit you down, should you demand, well, I want to see the bathroom. I'd like to see your bedrooms. Take me around the house. Is that unmannerly? Oh, absolutely. Utterly unmannerly absolutely. and listen guess what maybe they've just tidied that room they've brought you into the rest is like a bomb probably a bit like my own house you know you yeah. have to be respectful there's another thing that is happening more I see it more and more uh, taking shoes off do you or do you not oh no I would actually ask yes if you'd like me to take my shoes off and, and th- now this is a big one with me. Now listen, I'm going to admit something, Brenda. Here, I'll probably sh- uh, be shooting myself yes. in the foot. M- never mind the pun. Um, if you're asked to take your shoes off, I'm actually somebody that believes a house is to be lived in, and once my shoes are clean and there's nothing on them, I feel I have the right to w- to wear my shoes into your home. But if you ask me to take them off, is that you know? Can I say no? Sorry, I want to keep them on. Well, you know, it's a very sensitive issue, isn't it? One time I would have been rather indignant if I was asked to take my shoes off. I would put my two hands up and say yes. But not so much now. I think um, my attitude has changed. And, you know, if I want to respect that person and the way they run their home, I have no problem with that. That's personally speaking, and you're entitled to your opinion. And our homes have been have become even more... Our, 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 um, our sanctuaries now, mm. you know, um, and again, it goes back to COVID and, you know, bringing in, you know, people would say dirt from the road. I can understand, especially if you have a carpet at home, you can't exactly give the floor a wash. Yes. And I definitely think it's on um, a situation from the next situation basis. You just don't know who. who yes. So, so, you, so you'd acquiesce if someone said to you, Brenda, listen, would you take your shoes off? You'd take them off. I would. I wouldn't really have. Yeah. Them God help anyone who has smelly feet when you take the shoes off. We won't go down know, that road. I know. <laughs> and actually, talking about that now that you just mentioned that, well, I would also say don't be too over familiar and put your feet up on the coffee <laughs> table yes. or on the couch. Yes. That one happens especially with your shoes on and and now that you mention it and your smelly socks (laughs) don't do things like that Um, and and, you know if you're going to a house as well um, and you say say you get an unexpected invitation is it rude to bring somebody else with you that's not invited and just show up at the door and say oh by the way I took so and so with me yeah absolutely do not do that uh, ring first and say do you mind if I have my pal with me and the other thing may I just add, add this as well most of us especially since Covid you will see people have dogs now and they are their best friends and yeah. they bring them with them everywhere I adore our dog Luna absolutely and she's a great dog but maybe she won't be um, looked at in the same way by yes, somebody yes I think that's be aware of that yeah. and also ask me do you mind if I bring my dog yeah. along very very important Brenda listen you've been so good we'll be back to you I so promise scary. I just love chatting to you honestly you've clarified so, so much for us scary. today take thank care of yourself thank you and have a great day bye Terry. you too bye bye, bye. that's bye. Brenda Highland there wonderful from the Irish School of Etiquette if you want to look her up Mark says when I was a child visiting my grannies I wasn't allowed to move off the sofa unless it was to go to the loo I'd never been upstairs in our house that was the way he said back then today children in my house well they go everywhere it's just the way of life now children are more involved including more than we used to be back then life love the comment thank you Mark talking good manners manners in general etiquette with Brenda Highland top of the show plenty of comments from you I have to say another selection from what you're saying to us on late lunch this afternoon James isn't happy he says as a gentleman I've given up opening doors for women because they keep complaining that they can open it themselves they don't need a man to do anything for them society has gone down the flusher says James ah James don't be so down this afternoon come on open the doors for them do your best they'll appreciate it 
Women love to be pampered and fussed over. They really do, James. Thanks for your message. Appreciate it. Jerry, manners are free. Not enough of them, sadly. My pet peeve is in restaurants when people don't clean up after themselves. I understand that. That's the fast food restaurants I'm sure you're talking about there. It doesn't take a lot to take the stuff and put it into the bin. You don't get many thank yous. Uh, It's nice to be nice, says uh, that listener to me this afternoon. And so on they go and I'll be back to them. I promise you. Moving on on late lunch. And when I tell you that my next guest is from Dundalk and she's been honoured recently for an incredible contribution to cancer clinical trials. Yes, she's originally, as I said, from Dundalk, now based in Kildare. She's team leader of the Oncology and Haematology Clinical Trials Unit at Tala University Hospital. I'm delighted to welcome her to the show today and to say, well, well done. Ashley Bazin, hello. Hi, Jerry. Thanks very much for that. Not at all. You'd be known as Smith in the town, would you? I would. I would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Better tell them that. It's Ashley Smith yeah. from the town. Well, listen, I'm delighted for you. I really am. It's a wonderful, wonderful honour. And I was just reading uh, the lovely words that were said by everybody there on the day, especially the head of the Irish Cancer Society, Dr. Claire Kilty. You must be so proud. Oh, I'm delighted. Look, it was, you know, it's a real honour. But it's it's definitely a team thing. I work with an amazing bunch. So, you know, it's it's sort of for us all. But, yeah, it was lovely to receive it. And that team of yours has grown since 2006. I say you began with three. Now there are eight staff there. Tell us a bit about you. What's your background? How did you come to Talent and the research? So I am a trained nurse. I uh, left for... London with another Dundalk buddy of mine, Catherine Tobin, we went over to uh, King's College in London and we were there for the guts of 10 years. We did our training there and worked there. And I started working in clinical trials with pain management over there. And I came back then in the 90s and I came to Tala Hospital and worked in cardiology trials for another good chunk of time and then moved into oncology about 15 years ago. And I've been there since. Your work is amazing. It would have to be, wouldn't it? Because you're offering patients access to these trials and giving people real hope. Yeah, that's the that's the nicest thing about it. That patients are absolutely devastated with the news that they receive. So when a trial is offered to them, it's there's an element of hope about it, and you know, just the best newest treatments on board really quickly. So. You know, that that is a very rewarding aspect of the job. In Ireland, we have uh, numerous teams dotted around the country. I know yeah. this dedicated to this research work. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, and this is happening in other countries around the world. And I'll come on to you in a moment. You've been just over in San Francisco, which I'm interested in as well. But yeah. is it, you know, people often say, there are teams dotted here and there. There are teams all over the world looking, searching for this, you know, this panacea that we may get someday for cancer. Is it coordinated? It is very much so. So in Ireland, we're really lucky. We have uh, uh, charity Cancer Trials Ireland and they coordinate uh, the cancer trials that come in to the country and they help you know, help reach out to all the sites. There's 14 centres in the country that run these trials, mm. dotted all over the country. So they help coordinate that. Every every few months, um, the oncology team and haematology team get together with Cancer Trials Ireland and they look at all the trials that are available to bring to the country and they see which they think would be of scientific value to patients in Ireland and then they'll reach out and bring, try and get access to those trials in the country. So it's, it's very well structured here, um, as it is across the world. That's great to hear. And it's it's a question I always ask, because it, it's so important that it is. And that if, if you find something here as well, in, in terms of research of that, that feeds into the greater good all over the world and vice versa back to this country. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, all our trials would be global trials. And yeah. then we do, at the awards the other night, it was... It would blow your mind. There was an award for a young PhD student and there was three presentations of scientists and doctors who would who were just amazingly intelligent, clever people who are working in the labs, working away on cancer research. So it's, it's at all levels. 
San Francisco, I want to come back to that. I mentioned it a moment ago. A big conference on there late, recently. You are there as well. In a general sense, and I look, at, we can all see it. There are people living today and living long today with cancer that years yeah. ago would not be alive. There's no Absolutely. doubt about that. Where, you know, it's a big, big question, but, you know, we've been for years trying to conquer cancer and all the different strap lines we've used. Yes. Where do you, are we near? Will we ever be near to, you know, finding what what is the root cause of this? Well, cancer is just an umbrella term for so many diseases. Yes. What we're doing now is we're, we're having more targeted treatment for individuals. So we would have some amazing success stories with some of our patients and not so sometimes. And, and the question is, why does one treatment work for one patient and doesn't for another? And we're looking at that now more and more in depth. We're doing a lot of genetic profile testing of the cancer and seeing in which way we can target treatments to work for individual types of cancers. We have definitely moved leaps and bounds. Even in in the years I've been there, I deal a lot with prostate and kidney cancers. We've moved really great strides in those treatments. It's great to hear that and it's so yeah. encouraging and it gives encouragement to everybody when, when, when that is the de facto situation. Yeah. It's it's something still that, you know, no matter what you say or you see it yourself, when, when somebody gets a diagnosis, it's a major, major blow to that person's Absolutely. life. Absolutely, and their families, yeah, mm. it's it's massive. It's massive. It really, really is. But encouragement in what you're saying and the progress uh, that's been made as well. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned at the beginning as well, it's a team thing. So, you know, you're very much into that. You believe that the, the team ethic is crucial. A hundred percent. So our team is uh, nurses, doctors, data managers, admin staff, pharmacy. So they are all, we directly look after clinical trials, but we have buy-in from every department in Tala Hospital. So radiology is massive for us, cardiology, the labs, they all have to work with us. And actually we're a little bit of a nuisance because we're asking for more sometimes because that's the nature of trials. And people are so obliging once they know why you're doing it and what you need it for, they're phenomenal. And, you know, we, we, there's absolutely no way we could run one trial without them. But as well, Jerry, as those big trials that we're doing with heavy hitting drugs, we also do other things. And one of the things I'm really proud of is we're doing this register for men with prostate cancer. So it's, it's basically a quality to see how men who are having whatever type of treatment they have for prostate cancer, where they register quality of life questionnaires of how they're feeling, how it's affecting them emotionally, physically, financially, all that type of thing. And that is a global register run all over the world. And it will be published in the next few years. And it's a way of finding out because men would not maybe talk as much as women about how they feel emotionally. So it's a way of gathering their thoughts and how they're feeling and monitoring what type of treatments they're on. And we have great information from that in a few years. That's wonderful to hear. You're the nicest nuisance I ever talked to. Do you know that? Ever, ever, ever. You keep on being that. Don't ever make an apology for it. Because you kind of rock the boat at times, you don't do, you? You, you do, do, you do, you do. You do, you have to push it a bit sometimes, yeah. You do. When we think about trials and new drugs you, you mentioned there, often, you know, you hear the cost of these things and yeah. then people shudder when they hear that, ah, oh, it's out of my league. What do you say to that? They're massively expensive. In Ireland, we're really lucky. I mean, we have access to great treatments. I know within trials, so for when a patient's on a trial, all the drugs are free, whether they're on the new drug or the standard of care drug, the pharma companies will supply both. So in Tala Hospital, we've been monitoring that actually for a good few years. So our unit would bring between three and four million euros worth of free drug into Tala Hospital every year. So yeah, the, the costs are the costs are big, but mm. Ireland is has good access to a lot of treatments. Yeah, and then of course you've seen it yourself. People are great at getting together and raising money where they need it. At times, I just nearly fall off the chair here when I, I know. listen to what people do and what they achieve. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely, 
absolutely, yeah, yeah. So for you, this is a lifelong passion. It certainly is. It certainly is. I <laughs> they, love it. Yeah. They say nursing is a vocation. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt this it, yeah. this is too. Do you keep up much contact with Dundalk? Oh, I'm there every few weeks. Are yeah, you? my folks. Yeah. I have a big Dundalk family on both sides. Lots right. of them. Lots of them still there. Great. Yeah. So yeah. your 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 roots are deep there, even though you're, so. you're you're slightly displaced and you're working in, in the hospital in Tal. It's a wonderful hospital there, isn't it? It's something it is. Else. It's a great hospital. Mm. Yeah, it's a great hospital. It really is. So anyway, I see you here. I'm looking at your picture with the lovely award. I'm sure it's pride of place in the house. <laughs> well. <laughs> there beside the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I know the way it works myself. Of course yeah. it is. But look, we're yeah. delighted for you. We really are. Well deserved. And Thanks very much. Congratulations to you and your team and everybody there. And do keep on doing what you're doing because you're making such a difference in the lives of so, so many people. And I want to mention before we finish, this is very important. I've been a great supporter of it all my life. And I was actually talking about daffodils at the top yes. of the show. Yes, We've got exactly. to mention that Daffodil Day, which is a huge fund for the Irish Cancer Massive, Society yeah. is on Friday, March the 24th. And for information, if you want to get involved, sell daffodils, help out, support it in any way, do go online now. Cancer.ie, cancer.ie, all the information is there and I'll be supporting it again this year because it is simply wonderful. Congratulations. Lovely Thanks to chat to you much. today. Take care you of yourself, too. Ashley. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Ashley Bazin there. Smith is her name from Dundalk and County Ledwood. Huge family there who are so proud of her and rightly so. Up next on the show, we bring you your two on Tuesday. I love to hear from listeners and especially to get a letter which one arrived in the post this morning. I'll read it for you. Dear Jerry. I thought I would write after your lovely show on Friday. I don't expect you to read this out on the radio, but if you do, please don't mention my name. I suffer with depression and anxiety. Some days are really hard. It was really tough during the lockdown. I just wanted to thank you because your show keeps me going and it's fantastic every day. Uh, I met you once at the radio station many moons ago. And I'm also a big fan, Jerry. just to let you know, of Daniel O'Donnell. Love his music, love his songs. I've never been to one of his concerts. It's an ambition of mine to go one day. Ah, I hope you do go to see him one day. Thank you again for your wonderful shows and God bless. Isn't that a lovely little letter? I really, I treasure it. I'll keep it close to me, I promise you. Won't read your name, but you made my day with that lovely, lovely letter and words. Thanks so much. It means so much to me, I have to say. Time for this at this time on Tuesday and late lunch. It's time for our two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday. Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one. But we were so close. I'm supposed to be number one. We were so close. Two on Tuesday. Today, our two on Tuesday. Well, let me tell you a little story about it. It was released initially in 1985 and no one paid much attention to it. Honestly, they didn't. It just meandered along. I think it finished up in the high 50s in the UK charts in 85. But they went at it again in 1986, in May 1986. And out it came once more. Oh, what a difference. God knows what the reason was, but suddenly it got airplay, it got traction and up the charts it went. And eventually in June 1986, it ended up at number two in the UK charts. It's simply red. Our two on Tuesday and late lunch. Simply read, holding back the years. And Jamie's been on to say, oh, great choice, Jerry. It reminds me of Rodney and Cassandra's wedding in Only Fools and Horses and poor Dell sitting on his own. Indeed, that is a memory and that song associated with it. Big number two. Yes, it was there for a couple of weeks. But what kept it from number one? When I tell you it was a cover because the original of the song that kept that one off top spot was recorded by American singer-songwriter Norman Greenbaum and originally released in 1969 and actually made it to number one in the UK in 1970, the original version. But 
Today, I played the cover from June 1986 that went to number one in the UK and spent three weeks there. Yes, it's Doctor and the Medics. The number one that kept our number two on Tuesday holding back the year simply read off top spot. Doctor and the medics, spirit in the sky. The uh, judging panel is about to give its decision. <laughs> there are two people on the judging panel each week. Yours truly and Miss Louise Walsh. We ask the lady with etiquette and manners first, which one she prepare, prefers? When you asked me a few minutes ago when it started, I kind of did say, oh, definitely, I will go with Doctor and the Medics because Simply Red is definitely the better song. Definitely the better song. But it just made me yawn. Aww. But then, as the other Doctor and the Medics went on and on and on, I'm going to say begrudgingly, Simply Red. Ah, yes, we have a unanimous verdict today. <laughs> I was going to go begrudgingly. Dead, I was going to go dead set against you there. So I was. I really was because it's a cover. The other's an original as well. And I just love Simply Red and holding back the years. I'm not a Simply Red fan. You're not but a Mick Hucknall fan. Song. Are you? No, I, I, I think it is when, mm. when you judge the two. I'll tell you about that song, uh, the, you know, uh, Spirit in the Sky. Did you know that according to funeral directors, it's their second most requested song <laughs> <laughs> at memorial services. Really? And isn't that ironic? Because Greenbaum, who wrote it and recorded it originally, was a Jewish man. Oh. And uh, he recorded it, so he did. But yes. Funeral directors in Ireland or America? Funeral directors in general say really? it is the mo- second most requested ring song to play at memorial services. We'll have to ring cheaper and deeper to find out for sure. <laughs> uh, but guess what number one, you know what number one is according to funeral directors? And that's why I think it's quite genuine. I don't know. Danny Boy. Really? Yeah. Danny Boy is a huge one at services across the world, so it is. But there you go. It's the second most requested. You made a good choice, young woman, today in in going for Simply Red and holding back uh, the years. Anyway, that's your two and Tuesday. And the number one that blocked it from top spot. Short break on late lunch. And it is fostering fortnight. We talked to fosters a couple of weeks ago on the show. But we're going to hear today uh, from Fostering First Ireland again how you become a foster parent. Fostering fortnight it is and we've had the spotlight on it on late lunch. Different angle today because I'm joined by a principal social worker with Fostering First Ireland, Nora Nithuma. Hello, Nora. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Let me do a couple of quick fire questions at you. What age is the profile of a foster? How young, how senior can you be? Well, the minimum age is 25 and we have foster carers from their late 20s up to their 70s. Okay. Foster with us, so it's very broad. It is. That's a broad range of age, and it's good to hear that. Yes. Single people, married couples, same sex, where does that stand? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're looking for is, I suppose, families come in all shapes and sizes. Children have different needs, and we match accordingly. So, yeah, we have carers who are in same-sex relationships, who are married, who are not married, they're cohabitating, Um we have couples who've been together for maybe 40, 50 years. We've had couples who are more recently together. Um, we have people who were maybe not born in Ireland, but have settled in Ireland, who foster with us. So, um, yeah, fostering is really about being inclusive. Yes. Um, and yet, yeah, sorry, single people, yes, they yeah. can foster. It's a little trickier in the sense of, because you need to be financially able to support yourself. So it can be a little bit more difficult to be a single carer because you need to have flexibility as well as yeah. um, financial independence. But, and that, yeah. make, that makes sense, of course, too. You know, and there's always logic behind these things. So what about the process? Is it a complicated process? Um, I don't know if I would say that it's complicated as much as it's very thorough. Um, it, there's quite rigorous standards that are set out by, I suppose, the Department of Health. Um, and originally would have been the Department of Health, if you like. It has changed its name over the years. But those standards would dictate to us what is required of a foster carer. So every agency who recruit foster carers must assess them in line with those standards. So the vetting is required. You'd have to be medically fit to foster. We would check references. 
we would look for an employment reference. We, if you have children in school, we'd look for a school reference. And that's all about ensuring the safety of children who are placed with you and making sure that, I suppose, it's not just what we see is what we get, that we make sure that we have the evidence to say that you'd have the capacity to look after a child who might have varying levels of need, who may have experienced trauma. Mm. And, 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 and it's really reassuring to hear that. From start to finish, when you apply till when you'd be in a position to foster a child, what are you talking about typically time frame? Typically within fostering first, that is in and around six months. Um, it can vary somewhat depending if you'd lived overseas and we need to get checks. Um, for example, if you'd lived in America, we'd have to get a police check. If you'd lived in Australia or the UK, we'd also have to do those checks. So that can sometimes change the, the time frame of it, but typically it's about six months. The assessment process itself is about four months and then there might be a month um, when you might be waiting for a slot at the foster care committee in your local area and the foster care committee is run by Tusla and they are the approving authority for all foster carers in Ireland. Mm. And I take it you try to match the child with the foster parent or parents? Absolutely, it's critical. You know, you have to look at what is going on for the family. So the ages maybe of their own children, whether there's somebody at home full time, whether they're working. Like, for example, we can't place a baby in a household where there's two people working. You know, a newborn baby needs full time care. So you'd have to look at that as a matching uh, factor, you know, a criteria Mm. in terms of matching. Then you might look at, like, if you were placing an older teenager, you might think, well, we need somebody with maybe a little bit more experience of managing teenagers because... You need to have a certain um, kind of tolerance isn't the right word, but you need to be able to let some things go with teenagers. Um, And whereas with younger kids, as I said, you need a lot of time and patience. And really it's about people being able to say, look, what will work for their family? What will work for them? What are the needs of the child? So Mm. we'd have to look at that. So, you know, you might look at a child who, we might specifically have to place a child in the area in which they were raised so that they could maintain contact with their family of origin, that they could go to the same school. Or alternatively, we might have to factor in what's the best thing. This child maybe needs to be in a small community, in a, you know, in a local area where they could have access to good resources like schools and social settings so that they'd be quite protected within the community. So it just varies. There's a lot of different factors yeah. that we look at in matching. And of course, when you get the match, well, it it doesn't always 100% guarantee, but you're more likely to have a, a smooth arrangement, which will last. What about if it does, you know, become apparent in a short space of time that it's just not working out with a particular child and the foster parents? I, I'm sure you've had to deal with situations like that. We have had to deal with that, but I suppose we'd always look at how we could support the placement first. Yeah. Um, I suppose in fostering first, we'd look at we'd maybe look at social care support. We have a therapist who could assist the foster care because sometimes it can be just a moment at the start where people just have a little bit of nerves. You know that sometimes it can be just it's such mm. it's a transition and it's a different life and people don't always know what to expect and that can be just a little bit shocking. So sometimes it's about supporting through a carer through that moment, those few weeks. And then it can be just a case of really looking at how do we help this work out? So you might be saying, look, we'll make it work out and it lasts or we'll have to make it look or we'll have to look at how we can end the placement potentially in a better way for the child and the carer that it can be in a positive way. Um, So all of those things are really important. It's never just as simple that it doesn't work out because we always try to do our very best to make it work. Mm. But you know, when it doesn't, we really try to plan for that and work with what the child needs and to support the carer manage that situation too. At the start of the fortnight, the ladies, your ladies who went through yourselves, I spoke to, mm. God, they were just lovely and, and the mm. child and how that has worked out for them. And they're, they're coming to it a little bit as they admitted to me later in their lives, you know, that they probably never thought uh, that they, they'd enter uh, the fostering arena. But they were so encouraging and, and, and it was a wonderful, wonderful story. You know, for people who who do this, there is such a return, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I've I've worked sort of, I suppose, in the area of children and families for nearly twenty five years, and we're fostering first for thirteen. And you know, I've seen young people that have been placed with us reach adulthood and achieve so much in their lives, or even young people who were with us for a short period remain connected with their foster family, so they have. 
somebody that they can pick up the phone to, that they have somebody, if they have their first child, they can bring their child, you know, back to somebody Mm. and show them off and take pride in that. Or young people who've, you know, achieved third level education that they've managed to, you know, maybe do an apprenticeship, go to college or do a, a third level course. And all of those things are huge. And seeing that achievement as well as just maybe young people who, or children who really found it difficult to make friends, being able to, being supported to make friends. So their achievement is different. They needed more help around social skills and they got that through fostering. And seeing that develop and children get those skills is fantastic. And I, you know, over the years we would have met kids at different events um, or children and seeing how they have, blossomed and thrived in foster care I have to say is so rewarding even for me as a social worker I'm kind of the outside I'm not in the family doing mm. the, the hard work person. you know that seeing how well they they do is just it's a joy Ah, oh, it's it's, it's mm. simply it's simply mm. wonderful it, it really is it, what's the ratio you know are, are you in need of foster parents you know compared to the number of children who are requiring foster care Absolutely. I mean, there just isn't enough foster care, not just with ourselves and fostering first, but around, you know, across um, across the, fo- the the care system, if you like, the foster mm. carers are needed. I think the important thing we spoke about is matching. And when you don't have enough foster carers, sometimes those decisions aren't able to be made as well as, as you'd like. So I think the most important thing is if people are interested in fostering, come to an information event. And um, we actually have one on tonight ourselves in Fostering First um, you can check it out on our website have a you know have a read of the information that you get really think about it because there's over 6,000 children in care and what we know is that roughly there needs to be probably three to 400 foster families per year to allow for the fact that some people retire or they move on or children go into aftercare so absolutely there's an absolute need and we'd welcome any contact from anybody if they want to have a chat about that and think about, would it work for me? Maybe they're at a different stage of their life. You know, as yeah. we spoke about, there's empty nesters, or there's people with young families who said, actually, no, I'd really like to do something different. I'm at home now. I'd love to be able to maybe look after a younger child and give something back. It's a worthy and really worthy thing to do. Fosteringfirstireland.ie is the website. Fosteringfirstireland.ie 01417-1944 is the number. That's 01417-1944. Nora, thank you so much. Really enjoyed our chat. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Nora Nithuma there, Principal Social Worker with Fostering First Ireland. Everything is pointless without you. Oh, what a wonderful song, Lewis Capaldi, on your late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Simply brilliant. What a talent he is. I was watching the RTE News last night and God, they had a lovely feature on the news about pigs, and in particular, uh, my lovely pig rescue just outside Enfield in County Mead. Tara Daly looked a million dollars on the telly last night. She's with me now. Hi, Tara. Hi, Jerry. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good. You really looked well, I have to say. And Oh, all, God, thank you. <laughs> all the little piggies, too. There's a serious side to this, though, isn't it? You're full there. We are. We're fairly packed now, all right, yeah. Yeah. What's the story? Why are you so full just at this time? What's happened? It seems like, so in the last 12 months, really, we went from around about 50, 50 to 60 pigs last February, and we now have over 150. Now, they do come in, Jerry, from loads of different kind of situations, but in the last kind of three, four months, we've had an awful lot of cases of abandonment of mm. pigs. And they'd be the type of pigs, Jerry, that they'd be... Like, the type of pigs that you'd have as pets, like little small breeds, um, cooney-cooney or pot-belly crosses. Yeah. Um, and we have taken in so many of them in conjunction with the Department of Agriculture since November. 31 in total with the Department of Agriculture. And it's just put us under a bit of pressure here on farms. And would it be down to people getting them, uh, you know, and then realising, oh, we can't care for them properly and being left with them and looking just to get rid of them anywhere at all? I think, yeah, We again, because they're abandoned, we don't always know. We can only kind of assume. We have been contacting an awful lot over the last year as well 
by people who have taken in pigs as pets, just didn't know what was involved, mm. you know, weren't fully equipped, didn't have the education that they needed, didn't have even just simply the fencing, Jerry, that they needed to keep the piggies in, you know, didn't know yes. about their health and stuff. So we have taken in some surrenders from people. So these are cases of abandonment. Could be that it's people that have taken them in, couldn't cope, didn't know what to do yeah. and abandoned them. Or maybe breeders that um, didn't, couldn't find the market for them, you know, couldn't find the homes for them mm. to sell them to and just got, got out of hand on them and they decided to abandon them. I mean, it, it can be tricky. Like, pigs can um, reproduce uh, at a very young age. So if you're not aware of that, you could end up with a lot of piglets very quickly. Mm. And, and it shows you again, in deciding to take on a pet, any pet, you really do need to think it through. You do, 100%. 100%. You have to know all about the species that you're taking on and whether your environment is suitable and whether you are willing to de- dedicate your time. You know, mm. taking on any animal is a... It's, it's a 24-hour a day, seven days a week dedication. You know, you have to make sure they're safe and cared for all that time and it's one thing that we ensure as well at my lovely pig rescue if we do rehome you know we do have some people that come to us to adopt pigs but Cathy our founder Cathy Davy, she will always make sure to do a good full half day's training with everyone to see you know that they know what's involved before they 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 go ahead with it and sometimes that's enough for people to say do you know what it's not exactly what we expected so we're not going to go ahead. Mm. The lovely creatures, especially when they're small. You know, we all have this little thing in our mind of the tiny little cute piggy that's so small <laughs> and everything, but they do grow up. They certainly do. And we have, from the, the group of pigs that we took in back in November, we have so many piglets at the moment and they are adorable. Mm. But if you come and walk around our farm, we can point out to you some pigs that are the size of Great Danes and bigger um, that were maybe sold to people as micro pigs. But they weren't micro pigs, they were piglets, you know? And they grew and grew and grew. And then these people were looking at these pigs going, oh my gosh, I don't have the space <laughs> for this pig, you know? Yes. Um, this seems to happen a lot. This preconception, this preconceived notion that there are such thing as a micro pig. Yeah. Not really, they're usually just a very young pig. Oh, I laugh when I think even of dogs. I, I thought I bought a chihuahua. It's a wolfhound, you know? <laughs> situation that happens unfortunately with some people yes yeah. yes and, and it is a fact of life and you you see it all the time so like that's an enormous you know it's a tripling of, of your numbers how, how are you coping or how do you feed them all and keep going you know what i'm talking about like the costs involved and time and everything it is. It is. It's, a, it's a massive commitment. Now we have a, a very good team of uh, volunteers who help us out um, we also are under the umbrella of My Lovely Horse Rescue. So we're part of the, the larger My Lovely Horse Rescue. So we don't get direct funding for, mm. we'll say, the pig rescue from, from the Department of Agriculture. But the, the horse rescue gets a small grant every year, which is kind of siphoned out through all the different um, sections of My Lovely Horse Rescue, My Lovely Pig being one of them. But really it comes down to everyday people donating once a month you know setting up a, a donation once a month and donating or people running table quizzes or doing we do some bag packing in um, in some supermarkets and it literally comes down to things like that to pay the bills and we're lucky that people are generous but we're always under pressure sorry, for even on farm for space trying to make it work with all the pigs that we have but also financially because as you can imagine the feed bills never mind the electricity bills and yeah. the vet bills they really do all add up they certainly do. If anyone listening today can give you a dig out, what's the easiest way to get in touch? Um, you can find us on social media, My Lovely Pig Rescue, on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, we're also, the, like, as I said, our umbrella rescue is My Lovely Horse Rescue, so you can go to My Lovely Horse Rescue, the website, and you can donate there if you wish or set up a, a donation. We're also hoping to set up, like we want to educate people and help people understand pigs better because they're phenomenal animals and Mm. they have the most amazing capacity for emotion, they're so intelligent and we're hoping here um, to be able to set up an education centre so that people can come, children can come on school tours and really learn about these animals who are just, they're not just livestock that are hidden away, you know in big sheds on, on factory farms these are, they're individuals they are 
such complex characters and we want people to be able to see them thriving and really having all their needs met. So if anyone is interested in becoming involved in in us becoming an education centre for that, it's also something that we're really working towards at the moment. Ah, really nice to hear, yeah, and that's a really uh, worthwhile thing to do, um, you know, that education aspect of things. They're lovely. When I saw the big sow last night and someone rubbing our belly and the <laughs> contentment of that pig, you know what oh, I mean? Gosh, There's yeah. some, some, some humans don't get those belly rubs, never mind the, <laughs> the pigs enjoying it there. Anyway, listen, you're great. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks for having a and that are with me today, Tara. Thanks for having me on, Jerry. Not at all. Good. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Tara Daly there from my lovely pig rescue in Enfield. Yeah, the some boys wouldn't get a rub in the belly like that, like that pig got last night. I was just thinking that watching the news. There you go. Anyway, it's the funny, the things that enters this fella's head that's talking to you every afternoon here on Late Lunch and LMFM Radio. Coming up after three in the show, we sent the seeds out. We're going to have a chat to one of our potential new vegetable growers and Miss Louise Walsh has her own seeds. I think there's a few of them up today. It's just coming up to ten past three on late lunch and most afternoons. Well, every afternoon on late lunch at this time we do this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number four from this week in 2004. And my song today, well, it was written and dedicated by the man who co-wrote it, produced and performed it for his then partner at the time, Kenny Goss. It did reach number one in a few countries, Hungary, Italy, Poland and Spain. uh, But on the UK charts, which we focus on, the song debuted at number four on this week in the UK. It actually sold nearly 50,000 copies uh, the first week back then. But actually, it never rose any higher. That was it. Number four and back down the charts from there. Yes, it's Mr. George Michael and his amazing... George Michael, my number four from this week in 2004 with Amazing, a song he co-wrote himself, George Michael. Oh, he's gone from us a while now, isn't he? Big, big star in his day. Bring you the three, two, one over the coming days as we count down this week again in 2004. We were talking about manners and etiquette at the top of the show and Lots of chat from yourselves about it. There's another one there. Jerry, I will always say you're welcome. If I hold a door open for somebody, uh, they generally don't say anything to me. But sometimes it dawns on people and they do say that magic word, thanks. It's very, very important indeed uh, to say thanks. It really, really is. And we have another one as well that I want you to listen to. We have a lovely WhatsApp here about manners and etiquette. Let's hear it. Talking about manners, my dad, when we were growing up, if we didn't have manners, there was war. It was the only thing he always instilled into us. Manners are free. You always have your manners. So your topic today is very interesting. And um, yes, I do believe uh, people are not as well mannered as they used to be. So I'm trying to instill that into my kids uh, today. Thanks a million. Yes, that's Claire McDonald there uh, sending us that WhatsApp message. Thanks indeed. Lovely to hear from you this afternoon and on the money again when it comes to manners. It's doesn't cost a thing, does it, to be nice? It really, really doesn't. Let's all try to be a little nicer and show a little respect. Respect is the word and good manners going forward. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Tuesday afternoon. Final break of the day on the way and we'll have a chat with one of the people we've sent seeds out to. You know we were talking about this last week. If you're a regular on the show with us, Louise has done our seed sowing, we told you on Friday. Anyway, Anthony Walsh from Ashbourne and County Meath is joining me next. Tomorrow is International Women's Day and we have a special show lined up for you here on Late Lunch uh, featuring... Well, for the most part, women. There are some lads in there too. You'll hear about it tomorrow, but we are focusing on women on International Women's Day. Well, Louise, give them the news. Your babies have appeared. Well, some of them today, haven't they? Yeah, I'm very surprised. 
when did we delighted go? but I didn't think they did. it was Friday 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 at lunchtime wasn't that about yeah. 12 o'clock and that's Saturday, Sunday Monday, Tuesday four days and mm. they're just on the windowsill in our office upstairs that's all mm-hmm. and the first of the little speedy teeny tiny little ones yeah, popping speedy through speedy salad leaves and there'll mm. be loads of them on the surface there don't want shortly. to eat them now oh you will you will when they when, when they <laughs> when they do grow and you'll have to eat them and have to taste them but it just shows you how quickly they do appear and how quickly you can actually you know have your own little salad yeah, leaves yeah it actually it? is eye open yeah mm. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Well, let's have a chat with somebody we sent seeds out to. He lives uh, near Ashbourne, Barnstown, Ashbourne in County Meath. Anthony Walsh is on the line. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm good. You got the seeds? I got the seeds and I have some of them in the ground at the moment. Have you? Oh, yeah. You put them in already? Put them in on Sunday myself and my little granddaughter. Ah, good. It's following your granddaughter's footsteps thing. Yeah, and did you put them outdoors? Did you just put them in a little drill outdoors, did you? We have them in in a little container in the window, but we only planted some of them because there was a plant and I wouldn't be able to supply meat with lettuce. <laughs> you would, because there's thousands of little seeds there. That's even better still. So you have a container, a little bit of compost in it, and you have them on the windowsill. Yes, and then we'll plant some more in a couple of weeks again and just hopefully they'll come in in different stages. Yes, and that's very clever because successional sowing is what it's called and if you do that, then you will have a supply of leaves as you pick them. You're uh, you're clever, all right. Have you have you ever dabbled at the gardening or are you a gardener? I'm not really a gardener as such. My wife would do a bit okay. Yeah. And we have dabbled from time to time. Normally we do have maybe three or four tomato plants and maybe a couple of strawberry plants just for an interest, basically. Yes. But now that fear now is about... She's only two. She wouldn't really understand. Yeah. But you're she teaching her. Ah, she likes dabbling outside and that, so we keep her hand. Yeah, yeah. So so you did, you filled your little container, sprinkled the seeds over the top and put a little bit of light compost over the top of them. We did indeed. Oh, you know your stuff. You see, you're a little more on than I thought. But there you are. It's new to you, as you say. Your wife d- does a little bit at it as well. And just keep them, keep them a little bit moist. They should shoot up in a few days on, on the window ledge, like Louise's. They're up there today. We couldn't believe it. Them peeping up over the surface. I will see. Louise might have a special touch. <laughs> well, you mightn't be wrong there. Have you? Have you replied? So. Is Anthony right? Is Anthony right? Definitely not. Ah, well, I, I tell you now. What I've seen after weeds four, wouldn't even grow for me. Well, no. Well, you can't say that now because your salad leaves have appeared up today. I think she might have uh, the green fingers. Is right, Anthony. You could be on the money there. But for your granddaughter, for anybody, just to see them appear, and you know they'll they'll develop quickly as well. You know what I mean? They'll they'll move on fast, and you'll be picking your own. Little little leaves for your salad sandwich or a little side salad on your plate shortly. Yes, and then we get a couple of tomatoes. Jerry, we have the whole lot just making way beer bread. Ah, now you're talking. What a lovely... You have even the sandwich in your mind already. And those, you know, those mixed leaves, they're very tasty as well. There's a lovely mix in them as well. You know, they're peppery, they're they're fresh and everything like that. That's why we picked them. Anyway, look, your seeds are in and uh, waiting for the first arrivals and we'll touch base with you in a few days to see how you're going. No problem at all, Jerry. Thank you very much. Not at all. Thanks for joining me on the show. Take care of yourself. That's Anthony Walsh there from uh, Barnstown, Ashbourne in County Mead. We, sell, we sent Paula McDonald, didn't we, out seeds as well, Louise? Yes. Uh, in Dunlear. So and we, she did plant them. She sent she us in did. pictures, she didn't she? She sent us in a picture. She's reused a, a container she had. She has them sown. I'm not sure whether she has them covered with soil. I could see the seeds on the top. But we'll uh, chat to her as well and on and keep, keep her going with the salad seeds. But it is simple. And you just sprinkle them on the surface. We have, as we said, a 10-inch pot yep. with compost in it. And you're going to get loads of salad leaves from that you really are and I also got potato she's planted a spud (laughs) she has she's planted a spud I'm not joking salad cream at the ready (laughs) you love it don't you Mm. whichever it is anyway yes she has a a, a potato in already a Duke of York and we'll keep you posted on that one too so she's Louise is taking her first steps in the gardening and growing her own vegetables along with Anthony and Paula and they get one of them hats now (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> for gardening. Anyway, there you are. You'll be growing your own, <laughs> cooking it in your kitchen. You'll be writing a book about this next. The book is on the way. The book, it's only a matter of time before the book <laughs> comes out for sure. Anyway. I'll leave to last the title of it. Yeah, well, you're good. <laughs> oh, she's good. Sharp as a pin when it comes to titles. It'll be a good one for sure. Don't even go there yet, but it's going to be a cracker when it does come out. Watch this space. Anyway, tomorrow I mention again is International Women's Day and we're celebrating it here on Late Lunch and just reminding you that our Helena Helena Mullins will be joining us here on the station with Sinead on the 11 to 1 show and again ourselves on Late Lunch from Navin O'Mahony's GA Club who are also uh, celebrating the day with their Embrace Equity event over there it begins at 11.30 and runs to 2.30 Eddie Caffrey's on his way here on LMFM Radio we leave you today in the company of the wonderful Harry Styles he's coming to slay in this year he's a megastar yes it's late night talking with Harry have a good evening This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.